Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Star Carter, co-founder, board member, chief operating officer, and general counsel at Canaries. Canaries is a technology company focused solely on providing the tools organizations need to create long-term systemic change around diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges. Star, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me today, Maddie. Yeah, of course. So one of the many parts of diversity, equity, inclusion is employee engagement, And one of the recent trends we've seen all across social media is employees embracing quiet quitting. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, what are some of the underlying issues that have led to the quiet quitting trend? I think this is a great question. Quiet quitting, gosh, we're seeing it everywhere on every publication. Publications that don't have anything to do with employee and employee engagement as well. Uh, But I think some of the underlying issues can be pointed to a few things. One is just absolute burnout. I think that's one of the main underlying issues of quiet quitting. We have burnout. We have people that are having to work longer hours. We have employees being asked to do more with less and have less resources. And this ultimately has resulted in creating this unprecedented level of stress and utter exhaustion. And it's not anything new. I mean, the American Psychological Association found in 2021 across the board that employees are experiencing work-related stress at a level of 79%. So all of us, for the most part, as employees, we experience work-related stress. And I do think, Maddie, the second big thing is really, it's related to poor management. We talked about quiet quitting being a newer trend. So there's been some data that has been found. And the suggestion has been with quitting a job or quiet quitting a job, rather. It's less about the employee's willingness to work harder. It's more about their management, like their direct manager's ability to build a relationship where you have that trust, you have that loyalty, you have that motivation and engagement from the employee perspective to do more and to meet the request of doing more with less. Right. And as you're speaking toward burnout, like maintaining that work-life balance is a lot of the reason why people are considering quiet quitting, just doing the bare minimum at work. So how can employers re-engage burnout employees or help employees that are kind of at the end of their rope? Yeah. And it's not easy. And it's not a overnight thing. I think there's some quick wins that we can talk about. I think overall, I'm going to speak to the harder ones first. First and foremost, engagement. And you mentioned at the very beginning, Maddie, diversity, equity, inclusion, engagement have overlap. There's no doubt about that. And I think that what we've seen from the few studies and things have been performed on quiet quitting. Quiet quitting tends to disproportionately impact those that are underrepresented within a workforce, those that are diverse in a workforce. So I think because of that correlation, DEI has to be the front and center when we're considering how do we, as employers, help our employees get over this quiet quitting. And I think the first thing that has to be done, and we preach it at Canaries all the time, you have to ensure that all your employees' voices are being heard that all your employees, whether they're underrepresented or not, that they feel comfortable sharing what their concerns are. And by doing that and by understanding the lived experiences of your employees in the workplace, you're able to, if you have the demographics, if you collect the demographics across your workforce, which hopefully most of those listening do, 
you're able to understand those lived experiences across an intersectional cross-section of various identities. And with that, you can understand, are there disparities in those experiences? Do we see that our Black women tend to be more tired? Do we see that they tend to be asked to do more from a corporate citizenship aspect? Do we see Hispanic men have a disparity with respect to their comfort levels and being asked to carry on a bigger workload? You can fill in the blank. Our disabled employees, our LGBT employees, um, and understanding those love experiences so that when you do turn to putting in some interventions, you can be very narrow and you can be very specific and granular on how those different experiences look across your entire employee workforce. That's not easy. <laughs> and it's something we help our clients with all the time. And I think that's kind of point number one. I think point number two is that when you have this quiet quitting and this disengagement and perhaps issues related to diversity and inclusion as well, there's a need to really dig deeper from a systemic focus. Is there an issue, you know, with your procedures, your policies, your practices that are ultimately leading your employees to quiet quit or ultimately leading to a disproportionate or disparate impact of your policies, procedures on your underrepresented employees? So what does that mean? That means things like, what does your policies look like for PTO? Are there flexible work policies where folks can get the work done on their own schedule and not a specific set time? And I think back, Maddie, to when as an African-American Black woman, when I worked for the law firm space, there were many times where I was one of one or one of few <laughs> African-American women. And as a result of that, because my firms were really trying to get more diverse individuals, part of that is having your diverse or underrepresented individual out in the front and being a face. And so I was asked all the time to travel for interviews, for interviewing possible attorneys to come in, to be on the recruiting committee, to be on the women's committee, to be on the DEI committee. And it wasn't just me, Maddie. It was women in general. I mean, uh, Caucasian women were asked to join all that specific to women. And me as a Black woman was asked to do all that specific to women and to people of color things. It can be very tiring. And I know I was burned out and it was frustrating for me at the firm because all that was being asked of me and not a Caucasian male, for instance, and I was given no credit with respect to that. So I'm like taking time away from home and doing this stuff, which is really important to me, but it was frustrating because that was taking away hours that I could bill, for instance. As a lawyer, you it's all about the billable hours. Yeah. <laughs> And not be given credit for all the hard work that's equally, possibly more important. And so having to bill all those hours on top of all the hours I had to do for that kind of corporate citizen work. Exactly. That must be so frustrating to have to build the diversity, equity, inclusion in your firm at the time, like up from the ground and not be recognized for it, let alone compensated for it. Absolutely. I mean, it is hard work <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's so time consuming. And, you know, I did it. For so long and quiet quitting, you know, wasn't really a phenomenon then and perhaps people were doing it then too. But I just know I was working overtime to get it all done. And then at the end of the year, it was just frustrating because there was really no credit given to that work that was done. So I do think that, you know, those are kind of longer term things. I think there's some shorter things that can be done. And by the way, like I said, that DEI versus her, that's systemic, those aren't easy. And so to the extent an employer has the means to do so, I would encourage them to hire that DEI expert or consultant to help uncover those root causes. Because like I said, it's not easy, especially if you don't have folks that are trained to do those kind of things within your organization. But yeah, I think that's a possibility. And I think some of those shorter term things, because like I said, those are longer term things. 
would be items like offering mental health services, giving stipends for working out or online exercise classes for those of us who may not feel comfortable going to the gym, reconsidering your time off, your flexible hours, possibly reducing workload. All of these are tactical steps that can help reduce that burnout among your teams that you can do relatively quickly as you dig deeper to figure out those root causes. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier that one of the problems in not having support in your position in a company, which might lead to quiet quitting, is that your managers just aren't prepared to manage you. And I know that sometimes people get promoted because they're good at their job, but they're not necessarily trained or prepared to manage people on top of their regular duties. So do you have any advice for new managers, people higher up in the chain of command even, on how to learn and cultivate a strong company culture that prioritizes support and work-life balance? Yeah. So we talked about some of the the main underlying things, the DEI focus, the systemic. I think all that applies to kind of long-term approach to culture and DEI. But to your question with management, I do think this is key. I mean, a lot of us as employees, our experience day-to-day at the workplace is a reflection of our relationship with our direct management. Even though you could be in a 50,000 person organization, if your team is 20 people, that is your reality from day to day, despite what the company does as a whole. And so we always talk about canaries. It is key to train and have your management understand that they have vast effects on DEI experiences across the entire employee organization based on just the employees that they oversee and that they manage. I think that as we look at the management level, I mean, there's a few things that I think can be done from a management. And that's number one, is just starting with leading with empathy. And I talk about this a lot when I'm doing speaking engagements, because a lot of management, especially senior management executive level, they lack the diversity, right? If there's diversity in an organization, it tends to be at the entry level. And as you go up to the higher echelon of management, that diversity disappears. And so we end up talking to higher management and even mid-level management where a lot of underrepresented employees stall out in moving up about how do you have an effect on your employees? And that we always talk about leading with empathy. We have a lot of, especially Caucasian males that say, you know, I can't understand. I have a very diverse team. I don't know how to connect. I don't want to talk about those difficult discussions of what's happening in society because I don't want to misspeak, whatever the case may be. And what the first thing we preach is we are well beyond the demographics. They don't define us. They are part of our identity, but we are complex individuals. I guarantee you, if you take the time, you can connect on some level, one. And then two, you can empathize with the experience. You will never know what it's like to be an Asian woman in a corporate workplace if you're a Caucasian male, but you can listen. It starts with listening, active listening, asking questions and just listening. And really leading with that empathy to encourage this culture of empathy and trying to understand those circumstances, although you never will completely understand them. I think that's number one when it comes with management. I also think number two is even if you have those policies that I mentioned that have that flexibility built in, that there's a good written (laughs) policy for work-life balance. If you're a leader in an organization and you yourself are not following those flexible policies, that's an issue. People are not going to fall into line and do so themselves. So for instance, Maddie, if you have some kind of rule, because some, especially these late stage startups, they'll have rules like, hey, no meeting Friday, or please try not to email after 8 p.m. or whatever the case may be. You have to lead by example. You have to lead by example. If you are a boss and you're emailing people at 9 p.m. or you are saying, hey, we need to meet on Friday, we have a two hour strategy session. That doesn't work. It doesn't matter if it's written because your team 
your team's not going to follow suit. So I think that's important. I think it's also important to connect and check in on well-being, whether that is if you have a small team on one-on-ones, whether that is quick surveys and touch points. I think all that could go into management, creating this sense of culture and lessening the work burden or having folks feel like it's not all about being a taskmaster and getting tasks done. Yeah. With remote work, we've seen like a little bit more of a window into people's personal lives because they'll have pets or kids in the background (laughs) and you know what their house looks like now. Exactly. So what are your thoughts on remote work and this more digital environment we live in? Like what effect it has had on diversity, equity, inclusion? I think that it's had overall a positive effect because I think we have, to your point, had more of a glimpse on personal lives. I know everybody on my team has seen my kids on multiple occasions during the pandemic, especially during the early parts of the pandemic when there was no schooling, no daycare, and the kids were just here. And I also think that early on too, it was difficult because there were folks from a DEI standpoint that felt like they were forced to be on camera and didn't feel comfortable being on camera for whatever reason. They didn't want people to see their background or, you know, you heard a lot from African-American women. They didn't have a chance to get their hair done. Right. So I do think there's been some possible, you know, misses there. And I think people have over time talked about the effect of the pandemic from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. But I think when we look at the silver lining, that and these new approach to hybrid or remote, continued remote and hybrid workplace, despite the pandemic slowing down and not being front and center in everybody's mind and people learning to live with it. What we've seen is a continued approach on this work-life balance focus and being able to work from home remotely or this hybrid where folks can come in a couple days a week but still be able to work from home. And to me, that is like the number one positive thing that came out from all the pandemic chaos. Yeah. The embrace of flexibility has just been so great to see. Like, I don't really have very many responsibilities because I'm a young 20 something, but people I know who have children who are caregivers who just have things they have to take care of. It's nice to be able to take your lunch break to go grocery shopping because you don't want to deal with the crowds later in the day. We've been remote for a while. We are probably likely to kind of move to a hybrid here shortly. But I will tell you, I feel more productive. I mean, I literally get up, go downstairs, sit at my desk. work. You know, I'm not having to get as dolled up as I typically would do if I'm going in the office. I do my makeup, go on a shirt, and I'm not traveling to the office. And I feel like I can actually work more and have more time toward deliverables and calls. Now, I think ideally, I would love a place to go to one to two days a week, which is why I think hybrid is perfect for me. But that differs across generations and it differs across employees on what they want and what they crave. Yeah. For my team, we're struggling because not all of us are based in Connecticut. We've got people all over the country. So hybrid is a funky animal for us to deal with. But the remote work, it's just been really great because my coworker, my boss and I, we all now have time to easily like get exercise in, go for a walk outside, take care of our pets and uh, spend time with our family. Yes, I completely agree. And what has been found across research is, I think younger generations, especially Gen Zs, I I think even when you get the millennial, there might be a dichotomy in thought. But for Gen Zers especially, a lot of them have never really had a real in the corporate workplace in-person experience. So you end up having Gen Zers, I think, craving that because they've never had it. They're not used to being in an office working with others side by side and that camaraderie that comes to being there. And I think when you start getting millennial or higher, it's much more like, okay, we've done that and we love the remote work or we prefer hybrid because I do miss building camaraderie and going to lunch with my colleagues. But I also love being at home and doing X, Y, Z and being able to squeeze in, you know, a walk around the neighborhood or whatever the case may be. 
And so it's funny how the generational differences pan out on this. Yeah. And clearly embracing work-life balance isn't something that's going to disappear anytime soon. So to take it back to quiet quitting, do you think that's going to become more accepted or do you think it's just going to evolve into a place where it's like, we're going to make sure that our employees aren't burnt out and that they can get everything they need to do professionally and personally? I think as long as we have this byproduct of the pandemic and everything that's come after that and this current tight labor market, we're probably going to see folks be nervous about leaving their job. Unlike the great resignation, right, where everybody was leaving left and right. I think what we're starting to see is that many workers aren't feeling as secure on jumping right now because we have this 40-year high inflation that's going on. We have a looming recession, and I think we're in a recession based on dictionary definitions, although the effects of a recession haven't necessarily been felt yet. I think that quiet quitting will continue for now, at least, until employees feel like market's booming again. There isn't this cutback of budgets because of this looming recession by companies. I think it's here to stay for a minute. I think eventually it will kind of disappear. And I think as a result of that, especially because it's been identified and employers have been put on notice and everyone's talking about it, there will likely be a turn to, okay, we know they're quiet quitting. We've got to focus on this because at the end of the day, we cannot have our employees not engaged because we know if they're not engaged, we are losing on productivity. And that truly affects the bottom line with respect to having employees that are disengaged and aren't being productive. Gallup had a report and they found that job dissatisfaction is at an all-time high right now and that disengaged workers cost the global economy $7.8 trillion in totality of lost productivity. So employers have to focus on this. We have to make sure employees are productive, that they're engaged, and that as employers, we do what we need to do to bring them back to the table. That's good advice. And I have one final question for you, unless you have anything else you'd like to add or get into. No, no, I think we've covered quiet quitting. I just think it's so important to put DEI in the focus of the quiet quitting, just like I say the same for diversity and inclusion being the center of when you're hiring, when you're promoting, even when you're doing layoffs, and we're likely to see more of that too. And the only point I want to make is as we look at quiet quitting, as we look at these other aspects like layoffs that are very likely given the looming recession, that we really look at it through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. Yeah, for any business to be successful, if choices and culture and decisions are rooted in DEI, I feel like they're set up to be more successful, at least if they have the right perspective and the right people on board to help guide them. Absolutely. Yeah. So my final question really encompasses how conversational <laughs> this interview is. Since this episode airs on Fridays, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Oh, the weekend. Every weekend I look forward to the weekend. I've been traveling a lot for work. And so I've been missing my kids. I have two kids, a boy and a girl, seven and nine years old, or one about to turn nine, seven and nine, because he's only about a month out. So I'm really looking forward this weekend to spending some time with them. I've spent a lot of time on FaceTime. You know, hi, babies. How are y'all doing? So just kind of returning to spending time. It's also return of sports season. I'm a soccer and a basketball mom in the fullest. We have some soccer games and some basketball games. And despite the heat here in Dallas, Texas, I'm really looking forward to seeing them back to organize sports and attending, I think, three games this weekend. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're going to be really busy. That sounds like a lot of fun, though. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. And Star, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope that you have a great weekend. 
Thank you. You as well. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking about quiet quitting and uh, hopefully we'll see more employees become more engaged as employers are focusing on this phenomenon a bit more. Yeah, I'm hoping for that too. We all are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.